For Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Don, I forgot my microphone, so forgive me. Matthew chapter 5. Um, and if you want to know what we're looking at, Don, graciously, that's what we're looking at today. There you go. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we were out of the Beatitudes. Last week we saw that we are salt of the earth. This week we will look at how we are light of the world. With that, if you will, stand with me, reverence to God's Word page 852 of your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, we'll go down to verse 16. Jesus states, as uh, written by Matthew the Evangelist on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, every time we gather, we ask for the same thing and have done so for, for many years. Would you continue to open our entire being, our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears, our body and soul, that we may be transformed by the power of the gospel. And that transformation will lead us to become salt and light into an increasingly um, dark place. Would you move? And would we be the beneficiaries of your grace? Speak to us this morning. And may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was the youngest of three kids, which meant I was the smallest of three kids, which meant I always had to sit in the middle seat of the back seat. Right? I, was, I was stuck there. I was, I was the, the smallest, the youngest, and so my brother and sister got the window seats. I got the middle seat. But the advantage was I could look out the front window. And I remember when we get on the interstate, I always thought because dad would zoom right when he would get on the interstate that we were in a literal race because NASCAR was cool back then. And so, so I would like, like tell mom and dad to hurry up. We got to pass these people before we get. And it always amazed me. There's always people in front of us, right? I just, this bothered me. I wanted to win this, this race. Apparently we were running. But I remember one night, uh, it was, it, we were driving at nighttime, and uh, I was sitting in that middle seat looking at it, and I noticed there was these little lights in the middle of the road, just one after another, every few feet, just another light. Now, I know now they are reflectors, but, but to me at the time, they were lights in the middle of the road. So, so I asked Dad, what, what is that in the middle of the road? And he thought I was talking about the line. He says, well, son, that is what tells us what side of the road to be on. I said, Dad, I know what, what, what the paint means down the middle, but what, what I don't understand are, what are those little lights along the way? He says, oh, son, that's what keeps us on the right side of the road. Jesus here gives a common image of light. You will find light really from the first page, like verse 3 of the Bible, of where God created light, all the way to the end where we see that there is no sun, for God is its light in, in the new heavens and the new earth. Light is a common image throughout the Bible. It's really a common image in, in many of our stories that, that we read. But you remember what we saw last week, that we were told that as salt, we are, we are called to preserve the gospel. But as light, Jesus is encouraging us to not merely preserve it, but to proclaim it. The light of the gospel keeps us on the right track, and it calls us to proclaim that truth among the nations. Notice the rule here in verse 14. You are uh, the light of the world. 
Now, if you are a migraine sufferer like I am, and I come from a family of migraine sufferers, you are keenly aware that everywhere you go in this world, there is light. I remember whenever we were young, my mother had a migraine. She gets them really bad, and, and she was furious that the nightlight outside was blaring through the window. Right? She, she was uh, in the living room. We had all the lights off. We were doing everything we, we could to, to make her comfortable, help her through the migraine. But that one little light outside, I remember her begging my father, grab your gun and shoot it out. Right? I don't want that. She did the same thing with the crickets outside. If you, if you have migraines, you know the sound. Sound smells and lights are really bad. That's why I don't, I don't like a lot of strong smells even now. Don't like bright light even now and even loud, loud noise. But, but that light bothered her. Now, we take for granted the access we have to light. We have plenty of lights on in here. Over the years, the church has added light in order to make things brighter, more reasonable for us. If you get up in the middle of the night... Not only will you grab your phone and use it for light, you will pass dozens of lights, lamps, and, and, and light switches that, that, that can guide you along the way. We take this for granted. In the ancient world, when it was dark, it was dark. It was just dark, right? Uh, years ago, we, we had a really bad ice storm in Breckenridge County. We were new parents. We still had the new parent smell. We, we had about a three-year-old son, and, and uh, all the power went out in almost the entire county. Really bad ice storm. And I remember we started going to bed at like four o'clock, the central time. So we're, you know, an hour where, so it gets five o'clock dark here. It's four o'clock dark there, four or four thirty. We're going to bed at five, six o'clock. There's nothing on. There's no lights. There's absolutely nothing. It's truly, truly dark. And that's the world that Jesus lives in. When the sun sets, it got dark. And the only available light to them was the sun or rather the moon and, and, and the stars. Light then, for the ancient world, was necessary. It was a valuable commodity that illuminated one's way. Now, what is significant that we saw last week, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but we certainly need to spend time on it here. When you look at the two metaphors, salt on the one hand, light on the other, Jesus tells us in these Proverbs that these are identity issues. It isn't that we ought to be like salt, we should become light. We might become one or the other. But rather, Jesus states categorically, you are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. If you know your Bible, this is common language we find, particularly in the Old Testament, the same metaphor. For example, in Isaiah 42, verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you to be in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the peoples, a light for the nations. Isaiah 49, verse 6, he, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations. Daniel 12. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This isn't new, a new thing Jesus is saying here. He's reminding us of an old thing. That the people of God are lights. You are light, and you are called to be light. In the same way Jesus is calling us to, as, as he calls us to preserve the gospel, that is salt, he is calling us to proclaim the gospel as light. The gospel is more than an expensive decorative item we set up on a shelf. Rather, we are called 
to preserve and to proclaim it. And the best way to preserve it is to proclaim it. But what does it really look like practically to be light of the world? Well, read the rest of verse 14. We see the first of all, the word that sticks out to my mind is refuge. He says that uh, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You ever been traveling uh, in the middle of the night on roads, and in the distance you see, you see a bunch of lights? What does that tell you? There's a town nearby. Years ago, when I was in high school, we would go to a musical festival in Bushnell, Illinois. Bushnell, Illinois is the middle of nowhere. It is a farm, and it's surrounded by corn because outside of Chicago, that is all that Illinois is, right? And, and we were, we in our church van, we were running out of gas. And it was dark outside. It was late outside. And we started to wonder, we going to make it? You know, we, we didn't have AAA, nothing like that. We were, we were going to have to walk. And on both sides of, of the road was children of the corn. I mean, we, we did not want to stop in the middle of this road. You're in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. And just as we were about to run out of gas, we saw in the distance a bunch of lights. We knew that because of those lights, there's a good chance we'd be able to find a gas station to fill up to make of the rest away. And that's exactly what it is that we did. I want you to notice what Jesus does here in this passage. He gives us first a metaphor. You are light of the world. And to explain the metaphor, he gives us another metaphor. That's annoying, right? <laughs> I mean, just once you figure out what the light thing is all about, he has to illustrate the illustration with an illustration, right? Uh, and that's what he does here. What does he mean by light? Well, first of all, he says, you are like a city on a hill. Now, cities were typically built on a hill, really until recent times. If you go to, to, to the paradise of Ointon, one of the highest hills you'll find in the city is where the courthouse is set. It's one of the highest hills in the county, I think. I don't think it is the highest. Certainly one of them. This would have been common in, in the ancient world. That is why you'll see in the Bible it says that they went up to Jerusalem. It doesn't just mean they're going north. It means they're having to go up to Jerusalem. Because it is a city set up on the hill. There's a couple of reasons why you would do that in the ancient world. One, especially if you're in the Middle East, it's a lot cooler to be higher up in the sky. I don't know if you know that or not, right? Um, and so the breeze would be much cooler if you were there on the city on the hill. Another reason was for better defenses. Right, the, the, the ancient fortress Masada, the built by Herod the, the Great, was built up on basically on top of a mountain so that if you were to attack, they had to climb up the mountain. That was advantageous to those inside the fortress. Same thing with all the cities. That you wanted people to have to climb up, thus slowing them down, keeping you safe. There's a third reason why cities were built on the hill, and that is visibility. In an age before electricity, everyone could see a city on a hill. Cities were places of refuge. They would keep you safe in a time of war. And in your desperation, lost in the middle of the wilderness, you would look up and see in the distance a city on a hill. You would then know you were going to be okay. You, Jesus states, are like a city on a hill. The whole world is plunged into darkness. But in moments of despair, in moments of doubt and uncertainty, let it be that Christians in particular, the church in general, we are seen as a city on a hill for those lost in the darkness. One of the things I've said for some time is I think the West is Christ haunted. 
That is to say that, that we, are, we, we, we are, though we are indifferent towards religion, and we think that we have outgrown our need for Christ as a secular society, there are hints that we are Christ-haunted. And you all know that the ministry I do at the Capitol, one of the things I find is when I offer prayer, I am never turned down to anyone. You mind if I pray for you? Is there anything we can lift up to the Lord for you at this time? I'm never turned down. There are people who, who, who they're not active in local church. They don't believe the same gospel I believe. But when offered, they'll say, here are three things you can pray for me right now. I got family members who are sick. I got, I got, I got family at home that I'm far away that, that have some real needs. I got, you know, they'll give me real answers to this. They may not even pray. They may not believe believe in prayer. We are Christ haunted. Or consider more recently the, the uh, Buffalo Bills player, Damar Hamlin. You, you remember the story, I trust. Even if you're not a sports fan, I, I trust you're familiar with the story. One of the things that stuck out to me is, is just how Christ haunted we looked there. When it's, something like that happens, you realize that, that we are in a moment of hopelessness, that this is a moment beyond our control. And when things go beyond our control, we then realize how much we need lights. I mean, would you have guessed if we were playing a 2023 bingo, the things we'd see, you know, like a Chinese spy balloon over, you know, the United States, right? That probably wasn't on bingo, was it, right? You wouldn't expect seeing that. Here's one you wouldn't expect to see. Commentators on ESPN leading the nation in prayer. Did you have that on your bingo card of what to expect in 2023? I doubt it. But why would we pray on national television in a moment like that? Because I do believe we are Christ haunted. We know that we are wandering in the wilderness in darkness looking for lights. And let it be that we are lights and we proclaim light. We are a place of refuge for this Christ-haunted society. And this is why preserving the gospel is as vital as proclaiming the gospel. When people look up seeking for light, let it be that the light they see shines brightly that we call the gospel. Salt and light. When people are ready to hear the truth, let it be that the gospel we proclaim is undiluted, unspoiled. So that's refuge. The second word I see here is radiance. You'll see he turns to yet another metaphor, starting in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. You, you see the metaphor. The first metaphor for the, uh, the main metaphor is city on a hill. The second metaphor is a lamp. Now you need to know that in the ancient world, not only was it just completely pitch dark, uh, uh, at nighttime, but that houses at this time would have one room. Everyone slept in that room. Everyone uh, ate in that room. Everyone functioned in that room. Now, for men, that is perfectly fine for us, right? And that just seems much easier to, 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 to just figure out, okay? I, it would be. I would prefer that, actually. But at this time, that, that most, of your, most of your houses were, were like that. And, and so a lamp which would be sufficient in the middle of the room to, to light the whole thing. Now, wouldn't it be foolish if you light that lamp and then you take a thick blanket, threw it over that lamp? What kind of foolish person would do that? I'll tell you who. 
third shifters or sort of people do something like that, right? Right? You work third shift, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My dad, when he worked third shift, if, if my memory serves me right, he would put like aluminum foil over the, the, the windows, right? Just so he, he, he can trick his mind into believing it's dark outside, right? Just how can I get this room as dark as I can so I get caught up on sleep? Other than third shifters, we can all agree that this is madness to do this. What is the point of lighting a lamp if you're just going to cover it with shade? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. The light, he says there, is for everyone in the house. And remember, everyone is in the same room. Now, if we're not careful, we Christians can be equally foolish when it comes to being lights. Let me give you two ways we can be this foolish. The first of all, we might shade our light by unfaithfulness. Notice the language there, particularly in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works. The center of Jesus' argument here is good works. We are to be light, and part of that is proclamation and practical faithfulness. Good works. Now, you notice here, the purpose of good works is not so that we can receive the applause of others, Jesus states here, and so that others may see your good works and give glory to God. The point is to say that if God can transform him, if God can reform her, then clearly God is an incredible God. It may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Faithfulness brings glory to God, meaning that you and I are living for something bigger than ourselves. You want to know what the main problem, other than idolatry, is wrong with our subjective inner feelings, Gnosticism we have in our culture today, where the only thing that matters is how I feel. And we spend the entire day looking ourselves in the mirror, thinking about our feelings, thinking about our wants, thinking about what we've lost, thinking about how, how we've been hurt. You know, you know, you know, one of the main problems with that is that it, 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 it lacks any clear purpose. Particularly with young men, we have a lot of young men who, because you've been told you're toxic and you're nothing your entire life and that you're a danger to society, we've given men no purpose in life. Here Jesus says, I've got a purpose for you. Live for something greater than you. And that greater one is God himself. When others praise God for the light you bear, God is glorified in you. That is far greater than anything else you'll achieve in this life. Let your light shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But unfaithfulness and unrepented sin will shade your light quicker than anything. Be good. Give glory to God in your life. Second way we can shade our light is by cowardice. Far too many Christians are quiet about their faith. You cannot proclaim without words. Imagine, if you will, if my wife complained, I never told her I loved her. And my answer was, what do you mean? I told you when we got married, I loved you. <laughs> Whose side are you on? You're going to take hers, aren't you? Rightly so. Simply saying I am something is not sufficient. Now, I may do everything I can to be a perfect husband, but there is something about letting everyone know I am a happily married man who loves his wife. You want me to show you pictures of her. You want to meet her. You, you, you want me to brag on her. Why? Because there's something about not just doing the things, it's about expressing those things. So too, when we are silent about our faith, 
We are truly announcing to the world how important our faith is to us, how essential Christ is to us. As we said a few weeks ago, we as American evangelicals, we prefer ease over eternity, don't we? We prefer safety more than our Savior. But to live by faith is a courageous thing, especially in a dark world. How much faith do you and I have? How bright is our light in this dark world? I shared several weeks ago when we concluded our study of the Beatitudes, uh, several martyrs, but perhaps my favorite story is, is of an English bishop by the name of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. They were burned alive at the stake in England. The famous words from Latimer, who is probably the greatest preacher of the Reformation area. I know Luther gets a lot of credit, rightly so. Latimer's probably the best in terms of just, just giftedness, probably the best preacher. He said to his friend, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle that by God's grace in England, as I trust, will never be put out. I think Latimer's on to something. He understood he was the light of the world who was about to become the literal light of the world. And he died precisely that. Years ago, my wife and I went to Mammoth Cave because we're Kentuckians and you have to do that at some point in your life. And we experienced something I hope to never experience again. If you've been there, I bet they've done this to you. You get down right in the heart of the cave, right? And they turn the lights out. There's got to be a law against that. There has to be. Let me tell you. When you read in Revelation that it got so dark, like it hurt, right, in Revelation, you go down a mammoth cave, you feel it. That is a darkness that is, that is unfathomable. That is a scary place to be. Because my, my male instincts, you know, here, I got my girl with me, and, and we weren't, I, we may have been engaged, we, were, we weren't married yet, and, 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 I, and my first instincts were, I got to get her out of here. But I don't know which way is back or forward. I'm going to end up in the middle of the cave. We'll never find our way out. This is hopeless. We're going to die here, right? I mean, you just, you're like, I have no solution to any of this. It's a scary place to be. No wonder then we're so frightened in the world in which we live in. The world is equally dark. The Bible warns us of this. For example, Matthew 15, Jesus says that if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pits. You turn on your television. We got a lot of blind people leading a lot of blind people, and the pit gets larger and larger. The blind are leading the blind. And the only way out of this pit is for us to see the lights. Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, you were formerly in darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. You want to be the light of the world? Come to the light of the world. Let him shine. Let him be what lights this place. Not your abilities, not your politics, not your giftedness, not your talents, not your wants and needs, not your traditions, but Jesus. And point people to Jesus, for he is the light of the world. And because he is, he makes us that light. Our city is becoming darker and darker seemingly by the day. 
We know the answer. Will we preserve the gospel? Will we proclaim the gospel? And forgive me, I feel it necessary for us to sing a song. I'm not going to lead you in the song, but you know it well. Get get your finger up. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, third shifters do that. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? Nah, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine until Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine until Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.